All right, let's turn to the scriptures. If you have your Bible or your phone that has a Bible app on it, let's turn to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44 to 46. And for those who didn't bring it, uh, we typed it up for you guys. And uh, let's read it together in one voice. You guys ready? One, two, three. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. So in this passage... The one teaching right now is none other than Jesus, right? He's speaking to the crowds. In this context, he's speaking to many different types of people. He's speaking to the crowds, those who are interested in him. He's speaking, he's speaking to his disciples, those who are actually following him, right? And he's speaking to also the Pharisees, which um, they think they're following God, but they're really not because of their religiosity, all right? So what's happening here, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Everybody say treasure. All right. Uh, I want to start off by asking you guys a question and think to yourself, what do you spend your money, your time, and your energy on? Right. What do you spend most of your money, your time, and your energy on? All right. You said food? Right on, brother. I'm with you. I'm with you, right? You know, some of us, we spend our money, our time, our energy very consumed in, next slide, like, stuff like, you know, who knows who this is? You guys don't know who? Stop lying. It's BTS, right? It's BTS. Man, like, I, some of you guys, you spend your time, money, energy, uh, following them around. And I have a friend who I work at church with. Um, I'm not going to say her name. But uh, <laughs> back in the day, back in the day, she used to uh, follow these boy, brand, boy, brands, boy bands around. She was so obsessed that she would follow them on tour wherever they went. And she would know everything about them, researching every single person in the group. Somebody like that here? Good. Oh, that's you? It's all, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Some of us, we spend our time, money, and energy on good food. I don't know if you can see this because of the light. It looks like cake from here. But it is a tea, it's, it is a, called a tomahawk steak. All right? Tomahawk steak. Hey, let me, let me just flip the light here real quick so that you can, you can get hungry real quick, all right? Turn that off, right there. Boom, medium rare like I like it, right? Right? For me, I don't mind dropping some money on some good food. Anybody with me? Right? But I have friends, you know, food is not that interesting to them. It's not like, it's not like, a, like a borderline idol of their heart, you know? It's like... <laughs> It's like, for them, it's like, whatever's cheapest, you know, whatever's healthiest. It's not like, you know, for me, like, I, I go overboard sometimes. Like, I'm not that rich. I'm pastor, all right? I'm not that rich. And for me, I think the, the money, uh, the thing that I spend most money on that I don't think twice about is if a friend comes up to me and says, hey, you trying to get that five course, right? You trying to get that five course meal? I could easily drop a hundred. On a meal, right? That's, that's me, because I love food. Some of us, we spend a lot of time, energy, right, and money on 
Shoes. Shoes. A- anybody a sneakerhead in here? Dang, nobody is a sneakerhead in here. <laughs> Basically, this whole slide, I'm just describing myself, right? <laughs> you know, back in the day when I used to make make money, right? Uh, I used to have, <laughs> at the age of 16, 15, 16, I used to have around 70 pairs of sneakers, right? I was what you call a sneakerhead. I would... Always be online, always looking for the, the latest release, the latest deal. Right? And these shoes right here in particular, does anybody know what this is? Riley, you know what it is? These shoes, all right? These shoes are called the Jordan 3 Soles. You see the Korean flag, right? Let me, let me, let me teach you guys a little something, a sidetrack, all right? Jo- Jordan 3s, right, are one of the most rarest Jordans that you'll ever find, right? But what happened two weeks ago, because of the Pyeongchang Olympics, Nike, what they, Nike Korea, what they did is they got the most expensive and rare shoe they could find, Jordan 3, and they branded it with a Korean flag, right? So let me, let me, let me, let me share something with you, all right? If you buy these in line, it's $250, right? If you flip it, which most people do, like sell it again, it goes for about $2,000, right? Now, next clip. You see, sneakerheads do this. Sneakerheads do this, all right? Now, I have done this before where in the States, there's a shoe that's releasing. And like I'm like counting down the days. I can't wait for it to release. And I'll camp out with my friends. It's kind of like Black Friday, right? Like I camp out with my friends for like days. Just not even for a guarantee of this shoe, but for a raffle. For a chance to get this shoe, right? You see, can we go back one slide? You see, these shoes, you know what happened last week? There's actually only one store in the world, in Hongdae, that sold these shoes. And I walk by, right? I'm not, I'm not like that desperate no more, right? Like, I walk by, and then, like, look what I, guess what I saw? I saw, like, a long line of, like, tents, and people just camping out, because they want these shoes, Right? And guess what? I read online, there's a lot of people that are flying in to Korea just to sit in this line to get these shoes. Right? You see, these examples of why I'm asking, like, why do you spend your money, you know, what do you spend your time on, what do you spend your energy on, is because of a simple principle that all of us, we will pursue and we will go after that which we value. Right? We will pursue... We will do whatever it takes to go after that which we value. Basically, it's worth it. It's worth it. The title of this sermon, if you're taking notes, is It's Worth the Cost. It's Worth the Cost. That's the title of this sermon. All right? Um, Before I go forward, let me pray real quick. I need to calm down. (laughs) Let me pray real quick. Ask, Ask the Lord to help us. Yeah, Father, we thank you for being able to uh, cram up in here to worship you. And we thank you that uh, it is your hand, I believe, that brought every single person here. And as your word goes forth, I pray that your word, um, your truth would continue to uh, minister to our hearts. Your truth would really touch our hearts today. Uh, We know, God, that you are for us and you love everybody in this room. Uh, So be with us and help us. Give us revelation and understanding. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Alright, so Let's go back to the scripture that we read The kingdom of heaven is like treasure You know As we grow older uh, The things we value begin to change Right? One, you know, something that I, I was obsessed with before As we grow older Our values What we treasure It begins to change Because of our life stage Right? Last Years ago, I was into basketball cards. Today, I don't care about it at all. Years ago, I was a sneakerhead. Today, I'm kind of a sneakerhead. It's changing, right? But, you know, in this time right now, in your time in university, I believe that this is a time where your values are shaped the most. Right? It's what, what really matters, what becomes important to you. I feel like... I'm not saying it can't shape any other lifetime, but right now in college, when all this stimulation is coming at you, when all these attractions, when all these things are trying to get your attention, this is the time where your, your values are shaped the most right now. It's going to shape the trajectory of your life moving forward, and it's also going to shape um, how you make decisions as we move forward. Right? You guys with me? Yeah? So, here in this passage, right, Um, If we read this, it says that which is of value, the main thing that is of value here, it is right here, it says the kingdom of heaven. Everybody say the kingdom of heaven. Mm. It's worth so much in this passage that it gives an example of this guy who's willing to sell everything, right? For It's an analogy that Jesus is using saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is so precious that if a man were to find just a piece of treasure... He would buy the whole land just to get that treasure. He would sell what? Everything. What's, he trying, what's Jesus trying to emphasize here? That the kingdom of heaven has value that is invaluable. So that begs the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven? You know, other translations call it the kingdom of God. Right? Um, if you've been reading the Bible for a while, you'll find it pretty... Uh, Interchangeable, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. In short, I could do many, many different teachings on uh, extrapolating what the kingdom of heaven is. But in short, it's this. It's Jesus Christ's rule and reign over our lives. I'll say that again. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus' rule and reign over our lives. Let me say it another way. It's to have Jesus as our king. It's to not just have Him as our Savior of our lives, but the Lord of our lives. I'll say it another way. I like how Corey Tenboom said it. When Jesus reigns over our lives, he's, just not, he's not just a spare tire in case of emergency. He's our steering wheel. He steers the whole thing. That's the kingdom of heaven. The reign of Jesus in our lives. The kingdom of heaven is this. It's like the sun, right? Everything revolves around the sun. That's right, right? I'm not getting mixed up, right? Everything revolves around the sun, right? I spent some time at SNU, okay? All right? You see, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of our own lives is like this. The challenge for the Christian is this. We claim that we are living kingdom lives, that we treasure the kingdom of heaven like you're saying. But the question that we really got to ask ourselves is, does our life center around Christ? His values, what's important to Him, or does it center around us? Does it center around our little minds that we have? 
Does it center around our finite being? Right? That's the challenge of being a Christian. And I'll tell you, ever since I got saved, I've been facing that battle day in and day out. Is it about me? Or is it about Christ? Is Christ a treasure to me? Enough to sell everything and follow Him? It's a challenging question, right? Challenging question. Um, But this passage is suggesting this. The kingdom of heaven, following Jesus, he's saying it's worth the cost. It's worth following him. And we're going to go deeper, right? You see, I believe that a relationship with Jesus, I'm I'm not talking about a very religious life, a strict discipline of going to church every week. I'm talking about a real relationship with Jesus is a treasure that far surpasses any other value or treasure. You know, knowing Jesus and being known by Him holds infinite values. That's my value system that I move forward with. Every other decision I make in my life is not based on just, you know, my own carnal thinking. My value system comes from Christ's. Right? Now, Even Paul, he says it like this. I love this. Apostle Paul, he says it like, he says, whatever gain I had, and Paul, he had it all. He had reputation. Uh, He was a stud, right? He he, he was bold. He knew all this. uh, he He knew so much knowledge. He was a rabbi. He was discipled by the best rabbi, right? Paul, he said, whatever gain I had, everything that I thought was valuable, I counted as what? Loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth. Everyone say worth. Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Amen. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Right? That word rubbish, Paul just cursed. Right? That word rubbish in the Greek is called skadula. Everybody say skadula. You all just cursed. In the Greek language, it's a very profane word that means something hits the fan, right? It means crap. It means poo. Say, everything that I thought was valuable in my life, ever since I encountered Jesus for real, for real, all that started becoming pale. Not only pale, but like crap. Right? That's what Paul meant. Let me ask you a question. A very simple question. For however long you've been a Christian, how much is Jesus worth to you? That's the question I'm trying to get at today. Really, ask yourself, like, how much is Jesus worth to you? Is his worth ever increasing as life goes on to you? Is he becoming more and more valuable to you as life goes on? Or less and less valuable to you as life goes on? How much is Jesus worth to you? Because I know, I'll confess myself, so many times in Sunday, we're singing the song, Worthy, worthy, worthy you are. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy, Lord. We're singing it. We're singing it sincerely from the bottom of our hearts. But I go home asking myself, man, did I really mean that? 
Is Jesus really worth that much to me? You guys ready to go deeper? Yeah, is this too much? No? You guys hot? I'm hot. <laughs> All right. You know, when I think about how much Jesus is worth to us, I'm reminded of a woman named Mary in the Bible. In the book of Luke, there's a passage where there's a woman named Mary of Bethany. Right? You see, Mary of Bethany, she was very famous. You know why she was famous? Infamous, I should say. She was very, pretty infamous because she was known as the town's prostitute. Everybody knew her as the prostitute. And in that culture, in that Jewish culture, it's the lowest of lows to be a prostitute. Now this woman, you know what she did for a living? I don't have to answer that, right? She's a prostitute, okay? What she did is she collected that money, right? And she would buy a year's worth of wages of perfume. Nard, right? Perfume. In the Bible, it says that this woman, Mary, she had this thing called the alabaster jar of perfume. It's about this big, right? It's not, it's not like a little vial. It's like this big in a clay jar filled with valuable, perf- valuable perfume. And this amount of perfume was worth about a year's worth of wages. This perfume, you know what it represented? It represented her lifestyle. Because that's what she used it for. It represented her life, her everything. This alabaster jar was her most precious possession. Okay? Now here's what happens. Mary, she sees Jesus. She's heard rumors about Jesus. When John the Baptist said, hey, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh yeah, this woman, she knew she was a sinner. She knew she was a sinner. Everybody called her sinner. Every day, that was the identity that people shoved in her face day in and day out. Sinner. Sin. Ner. First name Sin, last name Ner. Your name is Sinner. She was reminded of that day in and day out. And then she sees Jesus walk into a house of a Pharisee. And check this out. In that custom, here's a custom. If I invite all these people over to my house, let's say this is my house and I invite you guys over, and then there's a main guest here. There's a main guest here and this person's pretty important, right? Let's say Todd right here. Todd Beatty right here. Handsome gentleman, right? I'm just saying because you look most like Jesus right now, right? <laughs> all right? <laughs> let's say Todd. <laughs> I love you, brother. But you see, Todd, he walks in. You know what? The custom is this. I'm supposed to get perfume. And I'm supposed to anoint his head. Put it on his head. The strong perfume. I'm supposed to get a servant to come and wash his feet. The 30 feet. You know what the perfume is for? Because once the perfume is on his head, everybody in the room knows that he's the main guest. He's the main guest. You see? When Jesus walks in, he's mocked. When Jesus walks in, he's not even given the basic treatment. Nobody washes his feet. Nobody anoints his head with oil. He's treated as a nobody to these Pharisees. Let me pause right there. Sometimes, I got to ask, sometimes, 
when we gather together, when we go to church, sometimes I catch myself being more like a Pharisee than like Mary. Mary who knew her sin and knew who Jesus was. The Pharisees, Jesus, the King of Kings, walks into the room. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what do we do? We don't anoint Him. We don't invite Him. We don't treasure Him. But what does Mary do? Mary, she, she, it, she lays down her reputation. She busts into the room. She's crying. She's showing the emotion upon the feet of Jesus, and he's crying. I'm not going to do that to you, right? I'm not going to come this time. Mary, Mary, Mary comes, and, and she's crying, washing his feet with her hair. Her woman, back in the day, their hair, right, was the most glorious. It represented their glory. And then feet represented the most filthiest part of someone's body. She got her hair and washed his feet. And then what did she do? She did the unthinkable. She got that alabaster jar. She broke it, all of it, years worth wage, representing her life. Broke it at the feet of Jesus. Broke it at the feet of Jesus. And honored him. You see, when I think of Mary, man, how much was Jesus worth to her? I asked that question. Right? How much was Jesus worth to her? Her time, energy, reputation, her most precious possession. You see, when I look at Mary, there's a quote that says, the stars don't look so bright without the backdrop of darkness. What that means is, Jesus' love and His mercy doesn't look so bright without the backdrop of knowing our sin. Knowing how messed up we are. You see, the Pharisees, the religious people, they fail to see that. They fail to see their darkness. So then they fail to see the goodness and mercy of Jesus. So let me ask the question again. How much is He worth to us? How much is He worth to us? And I ask myself this question, and I want to ask you this question too. How much is He worth to you? Is Jesus worth living for? Really? Is Jesus worth living for? Is Jesus worth, is He worth following? Is Jesus worth following? Is He worth forgiving one another for? That's tough. We're getting sensitive here. We're getting... We're touching some nerves here tonight. Is, he, is Jesus worth loving others for? Those who are different from us. Is Jesus worth... Is He a treasure worth seeking? Is He worth suffering for? Dang. Ask yourself, is Jesus worth suffering for? Is He worth dying for? And I'm going to take it another step. Is he worth our own family members being killed for? You know, I ask, I go that far. You know why I go that far? Because for me, I'm very challenged and provoked. Because there are people in this world, there are people in this world that love Jesus and treasure him so much that they would die for him. 
And they have died for him. There are people in this world that their family has died, has gotten martyred, because Jesus is their treasure, just like that. And it challenges me like crazy. Because I look at my life, and I'm like, I ask myself, how much is Jesus really worth to me? Is He only worth just singing a song once a week too? You know what I'm saying? You know, to many who know Jesus in this world, He is that worth it, you know? So the question that we need to ask ourselves now is this. How do we get to the place where He is that worthy to us? How do we get to that place? You know? I want to get to that place. How can our hearts come to a place where Jesus truly is our treasure? Worth selling everything for. Upholding Jesus as supreme in our lives. How do we get there, guys? You want to know the secret? Because it's more than just a philosophy. It's more than just a mindset. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. You guys want to know what the secret is? Here's the secret to how we get there. Jesus, if I, if I want us to get anything out of this message tonight, it's this statement I'm going to make right now. Jesus will be our sole treasure and He will be worth more and more to us when we experience and believe that we are His treasure. When you realize that you are His treasure. When you and I realize deep in our hearts that we are His pearls. We are that treasure. To the point where He would lay down His life to purchase us. When that truth and revelation hits deep in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, when that becomes deeper and deeper in our hearts, we cannot help but to respond, Jesus, be my treasure. Be worth it to me because I was worth it to you. Amen? We will pursue Him. I'm not talking about just being passive in our relationship with God. We will run. We'll run hard. We will pursue Him when we realize that He pursued us first. Brothers, we got to realize, friends, Jesus, He's not passive. He, he's a pursuer. And nothing can stop Him. You know that? Nothing about you can stop that. He will pursue us. And we love Him because He first loved us. When I think about that woman, Mary, who broke her alabaster jar, representing her very life, when I think about that valuable perfume poured out on the feet of Jesus, I can't help but think about how Jesus laid down Himself for us. Because look, that woman, she got the most precious possession that she had, representing her life. She broke that thing and washed Jesus' feet with perfume. But first, you know what we have to realize? We have to realize this. It was the body of Jesus Christ that was the alabaster jar 
that was broken. But it wasn't perfume that came out. It was His blood that washes over you and I for the sake of love. You see, many times we get all passionate and say, I, wanna, I want my life to be an alabaster jar. Break me. To, I want to show this affection. Like we sang today, remember? Our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. We kept singing that over and over again. But what we got to realize first is this. The body of Jesus was broken for you and I. And in Isaiah chapter 52, you know what Isaiah, he said, he says that the body of Jesus was so jacked up, so torn apart like a piece of meat, so bad that people couldn't recognize that it was a human being anymore. You see, it was every bone that was broken, every piercing that he experienced upon his body, that brokenness poured out his blood upon the sins of this world. You see, when we realize that, when we realize this, this kind of love that cannot be found in this world, doesn't it make you want to get in a kind of relationship where a love to the point of death? You can't find that anybody, anywhere else. Amen? You know, another thing that I find interesting about this passage before the uh, Kimi goes live before, is this. It says, then, in his what? Everybody say joy. Wow. that I don't know about you, but that, that I don't understand. In his joy, he sold everything for that treasure. But what does that remind me of? What, is, what should that remind you us of? That in Hebrews chapter 12, you know what it says? That, with joy, with the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That's crazy. In such agony, let me tell you, he was not happy. But in such agony in his heart, he had a deep joy. Why? Because he, he, he knew he was buying treasure. That was worth it to him. Let me tell you something. You know how much you're worth? You know what this world, you know what the billboards... You know what media says about you and I? It's very contradictory to how Christ sees you. You know that? You know how much you're worth? If you had to have a price tag on you, you know what it would say? It would say the blood of Jesus. You and I, we're worth the blood of Jesus. And that is the highest price. And that is, a, that is the highest dignity. Amen? You know... The value of something is determined by how much it costs. We were worth it to Jesus. You are worth fighting for. You know that? You're worth fighting for. You know you're worth being pursued. Some of us, it's hard to believe. Because we've grown up with trauma. We've grown up in lies. Saying that we're not worth pursuing. We're not worth loving. Some of us, we have all these false identities all upon us. Maybe it was even our own parents that compared each other to other people's kids. All these things that are influencing us. Yonsei says, you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. Let me tell you the truth. 
you are worth pursuing. Amen? You know, tell your, tell your neighbor that. You are worth pursuing. All right? You are worth pursuing. Do you believe it? Amen. Do you believe it? You know, maybe some of us grew up with a reoccurring voice and repeated narrative of abandonment. Abandonment. Unworthiness. Low self-esteem, insecurity, feeling unworthy to be pursued. You know what? Let me tell you something. The truth says that you are His treasure, treasure, and He's willing to lay down everything for you. That's who you are, guys. Let me say a quote by Tim Keller. He said this. I love this. He said, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. It's fake. Right? To be loved but nobody knows who you really are is comforting but it's superficial. But to be known, to be fully known for who you really are, our mess and everything, and not loved is everyone's greatest fear. It's our greatest fear. But to be fully known and fully loved, that's like being known, loved, and, loved and known by God. You see, when God sees you, you are fully known by Him. He knows everything. He knows all the mess. He knows all the heart motive. He knows everything. Fully known, but yet fully loved. That's crazy. I can't find anywhere, anywhere else with this kind of love. Amen? Now, I'm going to close with a little bit of my story. You know, I, Some of you guys heard just a little bit, but I want to share a little bit in detail, if that's okay. Uh, you see, I grew up in America. I grew up in California in the Bay Area. And I grew up going to church. My parents were devout uh, Christians, and they dragged me to church. I never liked church. I never liked singing songs like we just did today. I never liked the Bible studies. I just went because of basketball and friends, right? And when we were 14 years old, my dad came up to me one day. He said, uh, John, uh, I have some news to share with you. We, uh, we're moving. We're moving to the other side of the States, to Virginia. And at that time, I said, you can go. <laughs> I'm staying. My life is here. My friends are here. But long story short, what can I do? We moved to Virginia. You know why that was tough? Because 14 years old, that's when I finished middle school. And we know, when you finish middle school, you move on to high school with some of your middle school friends, right? But in Virginia, in high school, I, I, I enter. It's that, it's, that, it's that movie scene. You enter the lunch, ta- lunch uh, area with your tray and you got nobody to sit with, right? No friends. And I blamed it all on my parents. Because they wanted to move. And at that age, you don't do that when you're 14 years old to your kid, you know? Because your friends mean everything to you then. So at that point on, you know what happened? I began to rebel against my parents. I did everything I could to hurt them. And my relationship with my parents was really bad. A month into sitting by myself, I started playing basketball. And I made friends. Somehow I made friends that were older than me that wanted to take care of me. They were my youngs and my nunas. So I, was, I felt cool. I felt tight because I have friends in high school that were older than me. Everybody wants that, right? 
drove me around, dropped me off at school, picked me up. But you see, these friends, they were the cool kids in town. Why? Because, you know, they're the ones who skip class, and they're the, one, they're the ones who, you know, smoke in the back of the school, sell drugs and all that. So for me, my Hyungs and Nunas, actually, I was a businessman for them in school. Meaning I started getting into drugs. I started getting into selling. I started getting into alcoholism. I started getting into girls, the works, everything. I was 15 years old. And my heart was so hardened toward my parents that I didn't even try to hide it to them. I would come home so high, so messed up, and I'd say, hi, mom. Every day, every night I would see her cry, but I didn't care. Every night I see my dad cry, I, never, I didn't care. My heart was just so hardened. Right? You see, let me sum up my um, relationship with my parents in, in, in one experience out of many. You know, I was in front of my house, and I said, Mom, Dad, I don't want to be in this family anymore. I'm going to go live with my friends. So I'm packing my bags, and I'm going. Bye-bye. Right? It was in front of my house. And as I was walking away, my dad he just grabs me, like real tight on my shirt. And he's like, no, you can't go. And I'm like, let go of me, right? And then he wouldn't let go. So I remember I took off my shirt and I ran, right? And our house was kind of on a hill. I took off my shirt and I ran and I started running downhill. And guess what happened? I looked behind me and my dad was right behind me. He was running hard after me. I was running down that hill, and all of a sudden, I hear my—I hear a scream. And you know what happens? I look down at the bottom of the hill. There's like a rocky trail. He falls into that. The last thing I saw was my bloody father laying there. And I said, good. And I kept running away. That was my relationship with my father. Right? Some of you are like, I don't want to come here anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Who is this guy? You crazy guy. <laughs> Uh, you see, what ended up happening was I went to a gang fight because my Hyungs and Nunas were in a gang. And we rolled up in a huge rumble with like 30 people. And then we go to this gang fight and then like everybody's like hurting each other. And then all of a sudden, what happens? All these police cars like start busting in into this neighborhood and everybody dips. Everybody runs. And I'm running, I'm running, everybody's like scattering. But for some reason, I look back and it was God. He put some weight on my legs so I couldn't run fast enough. So as I was running, for some, you know, you know those nightmares where like you feel like you're running as fast as you can, but you're going really slow? It became a reality. But it was not monsters, it was cops, right? The cops, they got me. Threw me in the police car and, you know, was driving. And for me, I didn't think much of it. Because I was like, you know what? I've been in cop cars before. I got caught stealing multiple times. And all, I, all my parents got to do is pick me up from the police station. I didn't really care. Turns out that drugs were involved. I had some stuff on me. And so I go to what you call juvenile detention center, which is a prison for under 18, you know, age kids. And I'm there, and they put me in a cell. And I'm like, am I going to be here for a while? And then later on, long story short, I find out I'm going to be there for just two months with, like, you know, serving, like, what's it called? You know, house arrest and all that, right? And so what happens is it's like 
it's like I feel like I'm on a TV show. I'm like, is this real? Like, I can't believe I'm in juvie right now. And I'm sitting there, and it's a Friday night, and I'm thinking to myself, hey, I hope my parents don't come. I don't want to see them. But visitation days were only Sunday evenings. Sunday comes around, the intercom says, Mr. John Park, your parents are here. Please uh, be ready at the front door. I'm wearing my red jumpsuit. And then I'm like, dang it. But it's only 30 minutes. So they take me out. I'm in my handcuffs. I'm sitting there right in front of my parents like this. And I'm not going to look at them in the face. So I'm just looking down at my feet. And in my mindset, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, all right. Like, hurry up. Say what you want to say. I know I deserve it. Let's just hurry up. And it's quiet. My mom, she's just bawling. Seeing her son in you know, cuffs in a red jumpsuit. She's bawling. My dad, he's crying too. And then my dad starts talking. And you know what he says to me? He starts asking me all these questions. These are the questions that my father asked me. He said, John, are you okay? John, are you hurt? Are you okay in here? And he's like traditional Korean father. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, can I give you blankets? Are you cold in here? And then he says, all these questions, and I'm not even looking at him. And then he says this one question that just cracks up in my heart. He says, I don't know why this question cracked up in my heart, but he said, John, after you finish, when you come home, what do you want to eat the most? He knew food was the way to my heart, you know? <laughs> what do you want to eat the most? And then he just starts saying, John, we're not mad at you. You're our son. We love you. We're not angry at you. We're just glad you're okay. And then he, they just started just loving on me, not accusing me once. And they hugged me. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. And they walked away. I went back to my cell, and I was so confused. I was angry and confused. You know why? Because I was thinking to myself, why didn't, I don't understand, why didn't they scold me? Why didn't they give me what I deserved? And you know what happened? Ever since that night, for the next couple of days, I started having nightmares. These nightmares was repeated visions in my head. The visions were three images. One, of my mom crying. Two, of my bloody dad in the rocky trail. And three, for some reason, I just kept seeing Jesus on the cross. One of the nights, something supernatural happened. Where in my heart, I felt like God was directly speaking to me saying, Hey, this is my heart for you. I'm trying to show you right now through your father. And then I began to think of myself running away from my father and my father chasing after me. And God was just saying, Hey, John, that's me. I'm a pursuer. I will chase you down in the name of love. And from then on, I knew that the love of Jesus was real because of the faith of my parents. I knew that what they were believing in and walking, it was real. It was doing something in my heart. It was making me all soft again. And ever since then, after I got out, I won't say it was tough, but that's the time I became a Christian. That's the time the love of Jesus became legit to me because of this experience. But let me be honest to you guys. This is a sermon for another time. Ever since I became a Christian, 
Guess what? Life didn't get easier. Ever since I became a Christian, it became a lot harder. Stuff in life just comes at you, you know? A couple months later, my dad, my father passed away from a brain aneurysm all of a sudden. And I sat there in bed. The one, the one person that God used to bring me to salvation. I was like, how could he just die like that all of a sudden? And you know what question came into my mind? The question I asked you guys earlier. Is he still worth it? Is Jesus still worth it? Even when we don't understand. Is what he has done, his love, greater than any other cost we're willing to pay? And that's why I'm here today. I'm preaching I'm testifying of His goodness. I'm trying to tell you guys that He loves the heck out of you. I'm trying to tell you guys that this Christianity thing is not just a philosophy or a mind thing. It's an experiential, it's a real love thing. I'm trying to testify that I've experienced this love and God wants it for you too. That's what I want to share with you guys today. Because once you experience this love, once you begin to focus on how much Jesus is worthy, we'll stop thinking about how much it costs. Many times when it gets tough, we start focusing on the cost of following Christ more than His worth and how worthy He is. You know, this semester, I want to invite everybody in this room, whether you've been here for... Many semesters, or if it's your first, there's always deeper. Because why? As life goes on, it gets harder and harder. The cost seems bigger and bigger. Which means what? Jesus needs to become central. More and more worthier in our lives. Like this passage. The kingdom of heaven. Christ's rule and reign in our lives. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. It's worth selling everything, pursuing after. That's what it's all about, guys. Amen?